Volume One, Chapter Sixteen of The Day Will Come by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen. Be useful where thou livest, that they may both want and wish thy pleasing presence still. All worldly joys go less to the one joy of doing kindnesses. What impression did the man make upon you in that brief meeting? asked Theodore. Did he strike you as a roué? no that was the odd part of the business he had the steady respectable air of a breadwinner a professional or perhaps a commercial man i could not tell which there was nothing flashy or dissipated in his appearance he looked me steadily in the face when he bowed to me at parting and he had a frank straightforward expression and a grave decision of manner that was not without dignity he was soberly dressed in a style that attracted no attention i had no doubt that he was a gentleman he was handsome you say yes he was decidedly handsome but i can remember only the general character of his face not features or details for i saw him only twice in my life ah you saw him again once again some years later after her death she is dead then cried theodore that is the fact i am most anxious to learn from a reliable source of information there was a rumour of her death years ago but no one could give me any evidence of the fact i went to boulogne last week to try and trace her to her last resting-place but i could discover neither tombstone nor record of any kind and yet it was at boulogne she died i will tell you all i know about her if you like it doesn't amount to much pray tell me everything you can i am deeply grateful to you for having treated me with so much frankness it was on her account i received you i am glad to talk to any one who is interested in her pitiful fate there were so few to care for her i think there is no lot more sad than that of a broken-down gentleman's daughter born to an inheritance she is never to enjoy brought up to think of herself as a personage with a right to the world's respect and finding herself friendless and penniless in the bloom of her womanhood exposed to the world's contumely theodore's face flushed a little at this mention of his interest in the unhappy lady for he could but feel that the interest was of a sinister kind but he held his peace and miss newton went on with her story it was ever so many years after that meeting in richmond park i think it must have been nearly ten years when i ran against that very man upon a windy march day in folkestone i had thought much and often of my poor girl in all those years wondering how the world had used her and whether the lover whom she trusted so implicitly had been true to her i shuddered at the thought of what her fate might have been if he were false i had never heard a word about her in all that time i had seen no report of a divorce suit in the papers i knew absolutely nothing of her history from the hour i parted with her in thompson's seat till i ran against that man in folkestone i am rather shy about speaking to strangers in a general way but i was so anxious to know her fate that i stopped this man whose very name was unknown to me and asked him to tell me about my poor friend he looked bewildered as well he might at being pounced upon in that manner i explained that i was evelyn strangway's old governess and that i was uneasy at having lost sight of her for so many years and was very anxious to see her again he looked troubled at my question and he answered me gravely i am sorry to say you will never do that your friend is dead i asked when she died and where he told me within the last month and at boulogne i asked if he was with her at the last and he said no 
and then he lifted his hat and muttered something about having very little time to get to the station he was going to london by the next train it seemed and he was evidently anxious to shake me off but i was determined he should answer at least one more question was her husband with her when she died i asked his face darkened at the question which i suppose was a foolish one do you think it likely he said trying to move past me but i laid my hand upon his sleeve in my eagerness pray tell me that her end was not unhappy and that she was penitent for her sins he looked very angry at this if i stand here talking to you another minute i shall lose my train madam he said and i have important business in london this afternoon a fly came strolling by at this moment he hailed it and jumped in and he drove off into what thomas carlyle would call the immensities i never saw him again i never knew his name or calling or place of abode or anything about him i can no more localize him than i can goethe's mephistopheles god knows how he treated my poor girl whether he was kind or cruel whether he was faithful to a dishonourable tie or whether he held it as lightly as such ties have been held by the majority of men from abraham downwards the little woman's face flushed and her eyes filled as she gave vent to her feelings and this is all you know of evelyn strangway said theodore when she had finished this is all i know of her and now tell me why you are so anxious to learn her history you who can never have seen her face except in the picture at cheriton i dressed her for that picture and sat by while it was painted i will tell you the motive of my curiosity answered theodore you have treated me so frankly that i feel i must not withhold my confidence from you i know that i can rely upon your discretion i can talk as you have just heard said miss newton but i can be as silent as the grave when i like you must have read something about the murder at cheriton last july i read a great deal about it i took a morbid interest in the case knowing the house so well in every cranny and corner i could picture the scene as vividly as if i had seen the murdered man lying there a most inexplicable murder apparently motiveless apparently motiveless that fact has so preyed upon the widow's mind that she has imagined a motive she has a strange fancy that one of the strangways must have been the author of the crime she has brooded over their images till her whole mind has become possessed with the idea of one of that banished race garnering his wrath for long years until at last the hour came for a bloody revenge and then striking a death-blow out of the dark striking his fatal blow and vanishing from the sight of men as if a phantom arm had been stretched out of the night to deal that blow she has asked me to help her in discovering the murderer and i am pledged to do my utmost towards that end i am the more anxious to do so as i tremble for the consequences if she should be allowed to brood long upon this morbid fancy about the strangways i think however that with your help i have now laid that ghost i have traced the two brothers to their graves and i suppose we may accept the statement of the man you met at folkestone as sufficient evidence of mrs darcy's death especially as it seems to fit in with the account of the then vicar of cheriton who met her in boulogne in the summer of sixty four looking very ill and much aged it was in the spring of sixty five i met that man at folkestone i could find the exact date in my diary if you wish to be very precise about it for it is one of my old maidish ways to be very regular in keeping my diary poor evelyn to think that any one should be mad enough to suspect her of being capable of murder or fred or reginald 
they had the strangway temper all three of them and a fiery temper it was when it was roused a temper that led to family quarrels and all sorts of unhappiness but murder is a different kind of thing that is the question said theodore gravely is there such a wide gulf between the temper that makes family quarrels sets father against son and brother against brother and the temper that pulls a trigger or uses a bowie-knife i thought they were one and the same thing in actual quality and that the result was dependent upon circumstances oh don't talk like that please murder is something exceptional a hideous solecism in nature and in this case why murder what had sir godfrey carmichael done that any member of the strangway family should want to kill him i tell you that the idea is a wild one the morbid growth of my cousin's sorrow of course it is i am very sorry for her poor soul i don't suppose any woman could suffer more than she must have suffered it is a dreadful story and she was very fond of her husband i dare say she adored him they had been lovers almost from her childhood there never were a more devoted bride and bridegroom their honeymoon was not even beginning to wane they were still lovers still in a state of sweet surprise at finding themselves husband and wife poor girl i saw her the day before the murder a brilliant creature the very spirit of joy i saw her the morning after a spectre with awful eyes and marble face more dreadful to look upon than her murdered husband it is all too sad sighed miss newton i begin to think that cheriton is a fatal house and that no one can be happy there however you can tell this poor lady that the strangways are exonerated from any part in her misery i shall write to her to-night to that effect and now miss newton let me thank you once more for your friendly frankness and wish you good-night don't be in such a hurry mr dalbrook i like your face and i should like to see you again some day if you can find time to waste an hour upon an old maid in such a god-forsaken place as wedgwood street i shall think an hour so spent most delightfully employed answered theodore who was quite subjugated by the charm of this little person and her surroundings he did not remember having ever sat in a room he liked better than this first-floor front in wedgwood street with its terracotta walls prettily bound books curious oddments of old china and comfortable curtains of creamy workhouse sheeting with a bold vermilion border worked by sarah newton's indefatigable fingers i should very much like to hear all about your life in this strange neighbourhood he said there is not much to tell when my little fortune left by my uncle the dry salter fell in to me i was a lonely old woman without one surviving relative for whom i cared twopence i was pretty tired of teaching french and german god knows how many hundred times i must have gone through ollendorf in both languages and i've done him a good many times in italian par dessus marché perhaps i might have held on for a year or two longer as i was very fond of those nice girls and boys at kettisford vicarage if it hadn't been for ollendorf he decided me leela the youngest girl had only just begun that accursed book she was blundering over the baker's golden candlestick the very morning i got the lawyer's letter to tell me of my uncle's death and the will and the legacy i snatched the book out of her hand and shut it with a bang ain't i to do any more ollendorf sally she asked you may do as much as you like my love i said but you'll do no more with me i'm a millionaire or at least i feel as rich and independent as if i were a rothschild well 
i lay awake all that night making plans for my life and trying to think out how i could get the most comfort out of my little fortune enjoy my declining years have everything i wanted and yet be of some use to my fellow-creatures and the end of it was that i made up my mind to take a roomy lodging in a poor neighbourhood where i should not be tempted to spend a penny upon appearances furnish it after my own heart and make myself happy in just my own way without caring a straw what anybody thought about me i knew that i was plain as well as elderly that i could never be admired or cut a figure in the genteel world so i determined to renounce the gentilities altogether and to be looked up to in a little world of my own and you have found your plan answer it has answered beyond my hopes ever since i was thirty years of age and had finished with all young ideas and day-dreams i had one particular ideal of earthly bliss and that was the position of a country squire's wife an energetic active well-meaning woman the central figure in a rural village having her model cottages and her allotment gardens her infirmary her mission-house the good genius of her little community a queen in miniature and without political entanglements or menace of foreign war now it could never be my lot to reign on a landed estate to build cottages or cut up fertile meadows for cottagers gardens but i thought by taking up my abode in a poor neighbourhood and visiting in a friendly familiar way no tracts or preachings among the most respectable of the inhabitants and slowly feeling my way among the difficult subjects i might gradually acquire an influence just as strong as that of the lady bountiful in a country parish and might come to be as useful in my small way as the squire's wife with her larger means and i have done it added miss newton triumphantly there are rooms in this street and in other streets that are to be my model cottages there are overworked underfed women who look up to me as their providence there are children who come and hang to my skirts as i pass along the streets there are great hulking men who ask my advice and get me to write their letters for them what could a squire's wife have more than that and yet i have only a hundred and fifty pounds a year to spend upon my people you give them something more than money you give them sympathy the magnetism of your strong and generous nature ah there is something in that magnetism is a good word there must be some reason why people attach themselves so ardently to mr gladstone don't you know some charm in him that holds them almost in spite of themselves and makes them think as he thinks and veer as he veers yes they swing round with him like the boats going round with the tide and they can't help it any more than the boats can and i think to compare small things with great there must be some touch of that magnetic power in me concluded miss newton i am sure of it said theodore and i am sure too that you must be like a spot of light in this dark little world of yours i live among my friends that is the point explained miss newton i don't come from belgravia or from a fashionable terrace in kensington and tell them they ought to keep their wretched rooms cleaner and open their windows and put flower-pots on their window-sills i live here and they can come and see how i keep my rooms and judge for themselves their landlord is my landlord and a nice life i lead him about water and whitewash and drains he is thoroughly afraid of me i'm happy to say and generally bolts round a corner when he sees me in the street but i am too quick for his overfed legs i tackle him about all his shortcomings and he finds it easier to spend a few pounds upon his property now and then than to have me upon his heels at every turn 
so now crook's tenements have quite a reputation in lambeth if you were to see the old dragon you would wonder at my pluck in attacking him i can assure you your whole life is wonderful to me miss newton and i only wish there were hundreds of women in this big city living just as you live tell me please what kind of people your neighbours are oh they are people of all kinds some of course who are quite impracticable for whom i can do nothing but there are many more who are glad of my friendship and who receive me with open arms the single women and widows are my chief friends and some of those i know as well as if we had been brought up and educated upon the same social level they are workwomen of all kinds tailresses shirt-makers girls who work for military outfitters extra hands for court dressmakers shop-girls of the humbler class of shops shoe-binders artificial flower-makers i wonder whether you would like to see some of them i should like it very much indeed then perhaps you will come to one of my tea-parties i give two tea-parties a week all the winter to just as many of my women friends as this room will hold it holds about twenty very comfortably so i make twenty-five the outside limit we rather enjoy a little bit of a crush and i give my invitations so that they all have such pleasure as i can give them fairly turn and turn about we do not begin our evening too early for the working hours are precious to my poor things we take tea at eight o'clock and we seldom separate before half-past eleven just as if we were at a theatre we have a little music a little reading and recitation and sometimes a round game at cards when we are in a wild humour we play dumb crambo or even puss in the corner and we have always a great deal of talk we sit round this fireplace in a double semicircle the younger ones sitting on the rug in front of us elders and we talk and talk and talk about ourselves mostly and you can't think what good it does us surely god gave man speech as the universal safety valve it lets off half our troubles and half our sense of the world's injustice please let me come to your very next party said theodore smiling at the little woman's ardour that will be to-morrow evening replied miss newton i shall have to make an excuse for your appearance as we very seldom invite a man you will have to read or recite something as a reason for your being asked don't you know i will not recoil even from that test i have distinguished myself occasionally at a penny reading am i to be tragic or comic be both if you can we like to laugh but we revel in something that makes us cry desperately if you could give us something creepy into the bargain freeze our blood with a ghost or two it would be all the more enjoyable i will satiate you with my talents i shall feel like pentheus when he intruded upon his mother and her crew and shall be humbly grateful for not being torn to pieces morally in the way of criticism good night and a thousand thanks wait said miss newton i'm afraid it is much foggier than when you came i have smelt the fog coming on while we've been talking wouldn't you like a cab i should very much but i doubt if i shall succeed in finding one you wouldn't but i dare say i can get you one replied miss newton decisively she had an unobtrusive little chatelaine at her side and from the bunch of implements scissors penknife thimble she selected a small whistle then she pulled back one of the cream-white curtains opened the window and whistled loud and shrill into the fog two minutes afterwards there came a small treble voice out of the darkness what is it miss newton who's that tommy meadows all right tommy do you think you could find a hansom without getting yourself run over 
rather do you want it bring to your door miss if you please tommy i'm off cried the shrill voice and in less than ten minutes a two-wheeler rattled along the street and drew up sharply at tommy's treble command with tommy himself seated inside enjoying the drive and the uncertainty of the driver his spirits were still further exalted by the gift of a sixpence from theodore as he stepped into the cab to be taken back to the temple at a foot-pace even that sitting-room of his which he had taken pains to make comfortable and homelike had a gloomy look after that bright room in lambeth with its terracotta walls and cream-coloured curtains its gaily bound books and vivid valoris vases perched in every available corner he was more interested in that quaint interior and in the woman who had created it than he had been in any one except that one woman who filled the chief place in all his thoughts the vicar of kettisford had not overestimated sarah newton's power of fascination he was in wedgwood street at a few minutes before eight on the following evening the sky above lambeth was no longer obscured there were wintry stars shining over that forest of chimney-pots and everlasting monotony of slated roofs and even lambeth looked lively with its coster's barrows and bustle of eventide marketing theodore found the door open as it had been yesterday and he found an extra lamp upon the first-floor landing and the door of miss newton's room ajar while from within came the sound of many voices moderated to a subdued tone but still lively his modest knock was answered by miss newton herself who was standing close to the door ready to greet every fresh arrival how do you do we are nearly all here she said cheerily i hope you have not just been dining for with us tea means a hearty meal and if you can't eat anything we shall feel as if we were a banco's ghost how do you do mrs kirby to another arrival baby better i hope yes that's right how are you clara and you rose you've had that wretched tooth out i can see it in your face such a relief isn't it so glad to see you susan dale and you maria and you jenny why we are all here i do believe yes miss newton said a bright-looking girl by the fireplace who had been making toast indefatigably for twenty minutes and whose complexion had suffered accordingly there are two-and-twenty of us four-and-twenty counting the gentlemen and you i think that's as many as you expected yes everybody's here so we may as well begin tea in most such assemblies where the intention was to benefit a humble class of guests the proceedings would have begun with a hymn but at miss newton's parties there were neither hymns nor prayers and yet miss newton loved her hymn-book and delighted in the pathos and the sweetness of the music with which those familiar words are interwoven nor would she yield to anybody in her belief in the efficacy of prayer but she had made up her mind from the beginning that her tea-parties were to be pure and simple recreation and that any good which should come out of them was to come incidentally the women and girls who came at her bidding were to feel they came to be entertained came as her guests just as had they been duchesses they might have gone to visit other duchesses in park lane or carlton gardens they were not asked in order that they should be taught or preached to or wheedled into the praying of prayers or the singing of hymns they went as equals to visit a friend who relished their society and did not everybody relish the tea which might be described as a yorkshire tea of a humble order not the yorkshire tea which may mean mayonnaise and perigord pie chicken and champagne but tea as understood in the potteries of hull or the humbler alleys and streets of leeds or bradford 
three moderate-sized tables have been put together to make one capacious board spread with snowy damask upon which appeared two large plum loaves two tall towers of bread and butter a glass bowl of marmalade a bowl of jam two dishes of thinly sliced german sausage set off with sprigs of parsley german sausage bought at the most respectable ham and beef shop in the borough and as trustworthy as german sausage can be and for crowning glory of the feast a plentiful supply of shrimps freshly boiled savouring of the unseen sea the hot buttered toast was frizzling on a brass footman in front of the fire ready to be handed round piping hot as required there were two tea-trays one at each end of the table and there were two bright copper kettles which had never been defiled by the smoke of the fire filled with admirable tea miss newton took her place at the head of the table with theodore on her right hand and a pale and fragile-looking young woman on her left these two assisted the hostess in the administration of the tea-tray handing cups and saucers sugar-basin and cream-jug and in so doing they had frequent occasion to look at each other having gone there prepared to be interested theodore soon began to interest himself in this young woman whom miss newton addressed as marian she was by no means beautiful now but theodore fancied that she had once been very handsome and he occupied himself in reconstructing the beauty of the past from the wreck of the present the lines of the face were classic in their regularity but the hollow cheeks and pallid complexion told of care and toil and the face was aged untimely by a hard and joyless life the eyes were darkest grey large and pathetic-looking the eyes of a woman who had suffered much and thought much the beauty of those eyes gave a mournful charm to the pale pinched face and the light auburn hair was still luxuriant theodore noted the delicate hands and taper fingers which differed curiously from the hands which were busy around the hospitable board he could see that this young woman was a favourite with sarah newton and he told himself that she was of a race apart from the rest but he was agreeably surprised in finding that except for the prevailing cockney accent and a few slight lapses in grammar and pronunciation miss newton's guests were quite as refined as those ladies of dorchester with whom it had been his privilege to associate indeed he was not sure that he did not prefer the cockney twang and the faulty grammar to the second-hand smartness and slang of the young ladies whose awfully jolly ate it and don't you know had so often irritated his ear on tennis lawn or at afternoon tea here at least there was the unstudied speech of people who knew not the caprices of fashion or the latest catchword that had descended from belgravia to brompton and from brompton to the provinces there was a great deal of talk as miss newton had told him there would be and as she encouraged all her guests to talk about themselves he gathered a good deal of interesting information about the state of the different trades and the ways and manners of various employers most of whom seemed to be of a despotic and grasping temper the widows talked of their children's ailments or their progress at the board-school the girls talked a little with all modesty of their sweethearts sarah newton was interested in every detail of those humble lives and seemed to remember every fact bearing upon the joys or the sorrows of her guests it was a wonder to theodore to see how the careworn faces lighted up round the cheerful table in the lamplight yes it was surely a good thing to live among these daughters of toil and to lighten their burdens by this quick sympathy this cheerful hospitality vast pleasure-halls and people's palaces may do much for the million but here is one little spinster with her small income making an atmosphere of friendliness and comfort for the few and able to get a great deal nearer to them than philanthropy on a gigantic scale can ever get to the many 
theodore noticed that while most other tongues babbled freely the girl called marian sat silent after her task of distributing the tea was over with hands folded in her lap listening to the voices round her and with a soft slow smile lighting her face now and then in repose her countenance was deeply sad and he found himself speculating upon the history that had left those melancholy lines upon a face that was still young i am much interested in your next neighbour he said to miss newton presently while marian was helping another girl to clear the table i feel sure there must be something very sad in her experience of life and that she has sunk from a higher level so do i answered miss newton but i know very little more about her than you do except that she is a most exquisite worker with those taper fingers of hers and that she has worked for the same baby linen house for the last three years and has lived in the same second floor back in hercules buildings i think she is as fond of me as she can be yet she has never told me where she was born or who her people were or what her life has been like once she went so far as to tell me that it had been a very commonplace life and that her troubles had been in no wise extraordinary except the fact of her having had a very severe attack of typhus fever which left her a wreck once from some chance allusion i learnt that it was in italy she caught the fever and that it was badly treated by a foreign doctor but that one fact is all she ever let slip in her talk so carefully does she avoid every mention of the past i need hardly tell you that i have never questioned her i have reason to know that her life for the last three years has been spotless an industrious temperate christian life and that she is charitable and kind to those who are poorer than herself that is quite enough for me and i have encouraged her to make a friend of me in every way in my power she is happy in having found such a friend an invaluable friend to a woman who has sunk from happier surroundings yes i think i have been a comfort to her she comes to me for books and we meet nearly every day at the free library and compare notes about our reading my only regret is that i cannot induce her to take enough air and exercise she spends all the time that she can spare from her needlework in reading but i take her for a walk now and then and i think she enjoys that a penworth of the tram-car carries us to battersea park and we can stroll about amongst grass and trees and in sight of the river she is better off than most of the girls in the way of getting a little rest after toil for that fine delicate needlework of hers pays better than the common run of work and she is the quickest worker i know the tables were cleared by this time and space had been made for that half-circle round the fire of which miss newton had spoken on the previous night the younger girls brought hassocks and cushions and seated themselves in the front rank while their elders sat in the outer row of chairs theodore was now called upon to contribute his share to the entertainment and thereupon took a book from his pocket you told me you and your friends were fond of creepy stories miss newton he said is that really so really and truly and you are none of you afflicted with weak nerves you are not afraid of being made uncomfortable by the memory of a ghastly story no i think that with most of us the cares of life are too real and too absorbing to leave any room in our minds for imaginary horrors isn't it so now friends lor yes miss newton answered one of the girls briskly we're all of us too busy to worry about ghosts but i love a ghost tale for all that a chorus of voices echoed this assertion then ladies i shall have the honour of reading the haunters and the haunted by bulwer lytton the very title of the story thrilled them and the whole party just now so noisy with eager talk and frequent laughter sat breathless 
looking at the reader with awe-stricken eyes as that wonderful story slowly unwound itself theodore read well in that subdued and semi-dramatic style which is best adapted to chamber reading he felt what he read and the horror of the imaginary scene was vividly before his eyes as he got deeper into the story the reading lasted nearly two hours but it was not one moment too long for theodore's audience and there was a sigh of regret when the last words of the story had been spoken well exclaimed one young lady i do call that a first-class tale don't you miss newton you may go a long way without getting such a ghost tale as that said another and don't the gentleman read beautifully and don't he make one feel as if it was all going on in this very room and the dog too there i never see such a thing a poor dog to drop down dead like that i did hope that their dog would come to life again at the end said one damsel by way of diversion after the story miss newton opened her piano beckoned three of the girls over to her and played the symphony of blow gentle gales which old-fashioned glee the girls sang with taste and discretion the bass part being altered to suit a female voice then came some songs all of which miss newton accompanied and then at her request theodore read again this time selecting holmes a wonderful one-horse shay which caused much laughter after which the little clock on the chimney-piece having struck eleven he wished his hostess good-night selected his coat and hat from among the heap of jackets and hats on a table on the landing and went downstairs he was still in wedgwood street when he heard light footsteps come quickly behind him it seemed to him that they were trying to overtake him so he turned and met the owner of the feet i beg your pardon sir forgive me for following you said a very gentle voice which he recognized as belonging to the girl called marian i wanted so much to speak to you alone and i am glad of the opportunity of speaking to you he answered i felt particularly interested in you this evening there are some faces you know which interest us in spite of ourselves almost and i felt that i should like to know more of you this was so gravely said that there was no possibility of an offensive construction being given to the words you are very good sir it was your name that struck me she answered falteringly it is a dorsetshire name i think yes it is a dorsetshire name and i am a dorchester man dorchester she repeated slowly i wonder whether you know a place called cheriton i know it very well indeed a kinsman of mine lives there lord cheriton is my cousin i thought as much directly i heard your name you must know all about that dreadful murder then last summer yes i know about as much of it as any one knows and that is very little they have not found the murderer she asked with a faint shudder no nor are they likely to find him i believe but tell me why are you interested in cheriton do you come from that part of the country yes were you born in cheriton village i was brought up not far from there she answered hesitatingly he remembered what miss newton had told him of her own forbearance in asking questions and he pursued the inquiry no further may i see you as far as your lodgings he said kindly it will be very little out of my way no thank you mr dalbrook i am too much accustomed to going about alone ever to want any escort good-night and thank you for having answered my questions her manner showed a disinclination to prolong the interview and she walked away with hurried steps which carried her swiftly into the darkness poor lonely soul he said to himself now whose lost sheep is she i wonder she is certainly of a rank above a cottager's daughter and with those hands of hers it is clear she has never been in domestic service not far from cheriton 
what may that mean not far is a vague description of locality i must ask lady cheriton about her the next time i am at the chase End of chapter sixteen